Hello everyone and welcome to Shot Reverse Shot, a podcast about film and television in a very broad way. I am your host, Edwin Davis. Matt Risby is, of course, still out on assignment, by which I mean he is travelling around South America. He, I believe, is currently in Argentina, spent some of this week in Uruguay. Follow him on Instagram to see some of the amazing, fun things he is. He's Faux Dameron, F-A-U-X Dameron, as in Poe Dameron, obviously. Because it's a very funny Star Wars pun. So yeah, hello. You know how I said I wasn't going to do any more episodes for a while? I lied. This week, we're going to do something a little different. Uh, I said that because of Matt leaving, we're going to try out some new things this year. And I decided we're going to give out some awards this year, which we don't usually do. And it's the right time to do it. It's awards season, you know, the Oscar nominations are weeks away. On the day that uh, I'm recording this, the Golden Globes are about to air and they're going to hand out their little trinkets that don't really matter, but uh, people obsess about anyway. And at the time that I'm recording this, the ceremony hasn't aired, so I can't say who has won, but at a guess, I'll say congratulations to Damien Chazelle for winning Best Director for his nostalgic wankfest La La Land. Congratulations to Kate, to alleged sex offender Casey Affleck for winning Best Actor for Manchester by the Sea and Natalie Portman for Best Actress, probably. I mean, she's good in Jackie and, you know, I'm just kind of, I don't want to sound dismissive of her good work in that movie, which is a good movie, but, you know, it's just very tiring at this point to kind of think about all the great actresses that are probably going to lose because they're pitted against Natalie Portman playing an iconic role. Uh, yeah, so it's award season, and I thought we would enter the fray this year by introducing our own special ceremony in which we celebrate the performances by people who do good work in terrible movies and manage somehow to rise above the fray, or the people who take a paycheck and you can kind of see why they would do it, even though on some level they probably knew that what they were doing was bad and this award ceremony will be known as Shot Reverse Shot presents the first annual Anna Faris Memorial Award for making the best of a bad situation. Now, I know what you're saying. You've got two questions. One, why Anna Faris? And two, isn't she still alive? In answer to the first one, because, as I said, she's the sort of person who does good work in pretty much everything she does. She's always singled out as a highlight in everything that she does. And she's also someone who has been in basically nothing good. Except for maybe Lost in Translation, but I don't like that movie. But uh, there are plenty of people who do, and she's a highlight in it. But like everything else on her CV, it's not very very good. But if she can be the highlight of something like Movie 43, where her entire plot of that movie is to try and get her real-life husband, Chris Pratt, to have a shit on her chest, then you know that she's kind of special. (laughs) She's a talented comedic actress who just has the worst look and just has never had anything that really makes good use of her talents. But so I feel like she's a good person to name these awards after. And yeah, obviously she is still alive, but I make these podcasts for posterity. And I'm thinking, you know, when people are listening to this in the Paley Centre in 2117, uh, you know, she will be dead most likely, as as will most of us. Uh, well, maybe not babies. Babies will be alive then. So 100-year-old babies will be listening to this, but Anna Faris will not. So I'm naming it after her in perpetuity. 
Right, okay, so we're going to start with the first award of the night. And I want to say none of these seven people who are nominated are in competition with each other. This is an honorary award, so really and truthfully, these are all recipients. They're not really nominees. They are all getting the award. They all deserved it. And first up is Adewale Akinoye Agbaji for his role as Killer Croc in Suicide Squad. He's ugly on the outside, too. Not me, shorty. I'm beautiful. Now, no, I would say, with the exception of Jared Leto, no one in Suicide Squad is necessarily giving a bad performance. They're all doing what they can with terrible material, which is horribly assembled by David Ayer from a number of different cuts and a, a chaotic shooting schedule. So it feels bad to kind of single anyone out. They're all trying to do good work, but they all end up looking pretty bad and... The advantage I think Adwale Akinoye Agbaji has in his character is that he's unrecognisable. And so he has plausible deniability under all of that makeup. It could be pretty much anyone. And he's the only member of the cast who could uh, realistically deny that he was ever in Suicide Squad. So it's not going to kind of weigh his career down as it will pretty much everyone else involved. So I feel like he made a smart choice there. He signed on for a bad film. He got paid. And even though he's not particularly notable other than the fact that he is uh, an imposing physical presence and kind of he's can't really be blamed for it and he can also deny that he was ever involved which I think would be a solid choice really I don't imagine that considering the end of the movie Harley's the only one who escapes and they're doing a follow-up which is like about her and other villains I don't think he'll probably show up in the DCEU again so uh, I think he's he's he made the right choice of all the people in that cast and before we move on to the next recipient I just want to say I'm sick of hearing about Suicide Squad, I'm sure you are. There have been so many breakdowns about why it's an especially bad movie, but I would recommend, and there will be a link to this in the show notes of this episode, but I would recommend watching on YouTube Dan Olsen's breakdown of the editing in Suicide Squad. Uh, Dan Olsen, for people that don't know, is a critic and commentator who uh, does a channel called Folding Ideas on YouTube. used to do a thing with like a folded puppet which was really kind of a fun character of him to talk about different editing choices in movies and why some movies were terrible in the way that they were constructed he since dropped that conceit but he still you know is a very engaging critic and someone who is is able to dissect the you know the, the thing that makes films films which is the editing process in a way that is really keen and accessible and he did a very funny very engaging video about the editing in Suicide Squad and how it is uniquely awful so I would really recommend people checking that out and as I say there'll be a link in the show notes. Okay second we have Gerard Butler in Gods of Egypt. What do you want? Immortality. Immortality awaits us all in the afterlife. I don't want to die. I want to live forever. Down there in the lands I conquered, my kingdom. This should be my reward. How? The only way to achieve this is unthinkable. You would unleash chaos upon creation. You would destroy everything. Not destroy. Reshape. Now, I don't know how many of you have seen Gods of Egypt. I would highly recommend you watch it. It is terrible. It is a very, very bad movie. But it is also weirdly watchable. It's a very strange movie, which makes a lot of bizarre choices. Its mythology doesn't really make a lot of sense, particularly if you know anything about Egyptian mythology. The stakes aren't particularly well established. The effects are pretty bad. The action's shoddy. And 
everyone gives a performance of startling low energy. I mean, everyone in it talks as if they are performing in a library and they're in danger of being shushed. They're all very quiet and not particularly demonstrative. The exception being Gerard Butler, who, as someone who's used to being in bad period movies, such as 300, the movie that made his name, which is awful, uh, and he's bad in it, but has kind of a histrionic tone that kind of suits what he's doing in that movie. And in this one, he's the only one who seems to be making an effort. And even though he's bad as well, he's doing a, a kind of a ludicrous over-the-top over top performance, it is at least watchable and it is at least fun. So points for that, points for trying, even if it doesn't necessarily work out. Next up, Billy Eichner for the Angry Birds movie, in which he plays the character of Chef Pig, or Philip. This one is kind of on a commercial level, I want to say, go for it, Billy Eichner, you get that voiceover money, because there's there's no shortage of people in New York who are willing to scream at strangers on the street, and as soon as other networks figure that out and start intruding on True TV's territory, you know, he he his particular brand may not be as in demand, so he should really kind of go out there and sign up to be a voice of a pig in a terrible possibly harmful animated children's movie based on an app whose popularity has faded somewhat at this point. Also, I included on this list just because I want to talk about how fucking great Billy on the Street is. I recently published my top 20 TV shows of 2016, and as soon as it went live, I instantly regretted not putting Billy on the Street on there because that is a show that has given me so much joy (laughs) this past year, particularly in the kind of run-up to Christmas where I was just mainlining episodes to get me through a particularly hassling and stressful period at work and there is nothing quite like watching Billy Eichner run up to complete strangers on the streets of New York and ask them hilarious and strange questions or to see him subjecting celebrities to bizarre challenges and quizzes. The best of course being the one where he gets Rashida Jones to try and guess which Jewish celebrities have changed their name which uh, if you haven't watched it, it's called. It's great. It's called Whistleblow That Jew, <laughs> and it's uh, it's incredible, an incredible piece of work. So that was just my Billy on the Street talk, I guess. Okay, next up we have Jesse Eisenberg for Batman v Superman: Colon Dawn of Justice. Problems up here. Uh, the the problem of of evil in the world. Uh, the problem of absolute virtue. I'll take you in without breaking you. Which is more than you deserve. The problem of you on top of everything else. You above all. Ah, because that's what God is. Horus, Apollo, Jehovah, Kal-El, Clark, Joseph, Kent. Now, I actually feel like I could pick most of the cast of Batman v Superman because I think a lot of them do try and do good work and I think a lot of them do acquit themselves. Even someone like Amy Adams, who's such a professional that she takes the least interesting iteration of Lois Lane ever and tries to do something with her. And and then you have someone like Jeremy Irons, who shows up and tries to bridge the, the two divides of his career between serious acclaimed work and absolute schlock by doing this reserved and very noble depiction of Alfred, who is also a guy who sits in a control center and like machine guns people down remotely for the entire movie. So, you know, he's, he's kind of doing good work. Ben Affleck is fine. He's like the most anonymous of the Batman that we've had, um, for good or ill. 
like there's nothing in there of the kind of the overwhelming smugness of of George Clooney's portrayal but there's also very little grit or anything to really kind of hang on to in that movie from him but I went with Jesse Eisenberg because there's a phenomenon that you see in bad movies where you can tell that the actor who has signed on maybe didn't do it before a script had been written and when they got the script they instantly knew they were in a piece of shit and there are two ways an actor can choose to go that particularly a critically acclaimed oscar nominated actor can go with that one way is the route that michael fassbender takes in the x-men movies and in assassin's creed which is to make no effort whatsoever to just kind of stand there surrounded by green screen and do hardly anything which is lazy it's boring it's not fun to watch the other way is what jesse eisenberg does which is to do a performance that is so terrible and so clearly shows that he hates every word that he's saying that he seems to be trying to get fired he seems to be trying trying to actively force warner brothers to recast the role of lex luther here on out and it's wonderful seeing just how many ticks and odd wrong choices he makes in that role and that is why he is the most entertaining character in the movie and he gives the most fun performance to watch but also why he is in many ways kind of unwatchable uh and but you know he's the most watchable thing in an unwatchable movie that's got to be worth something at least next up we have the person who inspired me to start this entire thing michael shannon in nocturnal animals what you got to say about this man's wife and daughter i don't know nothing about that i've never seen him before in my life what you gonna tell me about rain turk who? Who? What are you, an owl? You an owl, Lou? I, I never heard of him. You never heard of him? No, sir. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And uh, kind of also for Batman v Superman. I mean, he only plays a corpse in it, but he's magnetic as a corpse. So Nocturnal Animals is the second movie by Tom Ford. He made a movie called A Single Man some years ago with Colin Firth, which was a very, very good movie that I really liked. It was a beautiful movie about loneliness and grief. And it was the first movie that Colin Firth was nominated for Best Actor for, I believe. And then he won the year after for The King's Speech in one of those situations that feels like the Academy realised they had got it wrong. And so they just gave him the award because they thought, oh shit, we should have given you this last year. We'll give you this now for this role where you're playing a real life person who constantly stutters. And so it's a nice nexus point of everything that the Academy likes. And, and uh, you know, it's been seven years since that film came out. And this is the, the, the first film he's made in that time. And while in some ways Nocturnal Animals is a better movie in that it's it's a little more dynamic dramatically. Things happen at a reasonable pace. It's a movie in which a lot of stuff happens. It's also this interminable work of metafiction where there's three parallel timelines taking place on different levels of reality. There's the main one where Amy Adams is plays this art dealer who receives a book written by her ex-husband called Nocturnal Animals in which she which is dedicated to her and she starts reading it and it's this incredibly violent story and she starts to suspect that this book is some act of revenge against her for wrongdoings in the past. Then you have the book events of the book being acted out themselves, which are all about this man played by Jake Gyllenhaal, who's 
wife and daughter get taken by rednecks and horrible things happen. And he goes on a revenge mission helped by Michael Shannon, who plays a police detective who kind of helps him take extra legal measures against these people and the, and the things that they've done. So, uh, and then the third one is it kind of flashbacks to her relationship with Jake Gyllenhaal and, and how they met and how things ended up falling apart between them. So Shannon's only in the story, the, the, the novelistic bits, the events of the novel, which are the kind of the most overwrought and unpleasant it's a very unpleasant and hateful and mean movie and it's that's intent is that's what it's meant to be it's not like one of those movies where like passengers or whatever where you think oh it's going to be a fun romp and then you watch it and you realize there's some stuff going on under the surface here that's really uncomfortable it's like it's a movie that sets out to be hateful it's just really ponderous and boring and and over the top in how it handles these things and and its eventual conclusion is kind of laughable but Michael Shannon uh, throughout it is amazing because Michael Shannon is an incredible actor who will show up and he will bring a level of fantastic intensity to absolutely everything that he does. And he's great in the movie. He's this really compelling, dark character as this very noirish archetype of a detective who's dying, who decides that he's going to take justice into his own hands and help this guy where the law is going to fail him and he's just he's just really great in a movie that is awful and uh will probably you know might win something at the gong gloves tonight it may get nominated for a bunch of oscars because the art design's great but uh is otherwise just come like complete trash really well delivered trash but still trash regardless next up we have Kristen stewart for cafe society I don't think that's a very good idea, actually. No. I'm seeing someone. Oh. I did. What? What's he like? Doug is a journalist. Oh. I just thought since you had so much free time on your hands. He travels a lot. And I really like spending my time with you. I hope that's okay. You know, you're very sweet. Have you heard that before? You have this deer in the headlights quality. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Well, if I was your boyfriend, I would not travel. In some ways, I feel like Kristen Stewart is almost the patron saint of this entire idea, this entire awards, the idea of someone making the best out of a bad situation, because in, in a sense, that's what her career has been over the last five years or so since the Twilight series ended. Because she had, on one level, she had great fortune in that she got cast as the character Bella Swan in the Twilight series, which were hugely successful, I'm sure, you know, made her a lot of money, made her an icon, you know, around the world. People know who she is uh, around the world, and she has kind of, like, achieved a level of fame that I think is 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 rare, to, you know, takes her to rarefied air. But at the same time, the success of that movie exposed her to a lot of people who now know her only as someone who's kind of a flat, affectless character who doesn't really do much and doesn't give do give you much really to like about her this you know this somewhat featureless audience and good character and that means that a lot of people everywhere just think you know if they want to name a bad actress they go to Kristen Stewart even though in the years since then she has done fantastic work in a lot of smaller movies like just this year alone she was in Personal Shopper which has been getting a lot of attention. She was in The Clouds of Silmaria last year which was I believe the movie that she won the César for, the, the French equivalent of the Oscar which made her the first American actress to ever win that award 
she was she's done interesting work in things like American Ultra. She was really good in a movie that I didn't like called Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk. You know, she's just one of these. She's really good in, in certain women. Also came out last year. She's just someone who is consistently does really interesting, compelling work. And unfortunately, it's in movies that very few people see. So the there has been little. So there has been little pushback, really, from her, except from the critical community. So so she was casting these movies that were were not particularly good. We did a whole episode on this. You can look it up. <laughs> the the one we did when we watched four of them in, in one night and got really drunk many years ago um so she she did all these movies that weren't particularly good but she used the success of those movies to do all of this interesting stuff so she has made the best of a bad situation through pretty much her 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 entire career has been that for a really really long time and so is robert pattinson her twilight co-star for that matter who's someone who's gone on to appear in a lot of a lot of really interesting movies after being labeled as kind of a drab lead actor uh and, and in in cafe society she kind of is that in microcosm because she is this character in a woody allen movie that's really unfocused and not particularly interesting where she's the love interest of jesse eisenberg reuniting for him with the third time um the other two times being adventureland and american ultra so she's kind of getting diminishing returns each time that they pair up so i'm dreading the fourth time they're on screen together but you know she's kind of a a, a vivacious character in the movie she's someone you can understand why he she would become a point of obsession for jesse eisenberg you could think of why she would be this woman that would have a profound effect on his life in the years ahead now the movie around them is is not very good it's not very funny it's very unfocused it's it feels like one of those movies that woody allen makes nowadays where he's clearly taken a bunch of ideas that he's had lying around in his little drawer in his apartment and just kind of throwing them together and said okay yeah so it's about a guy working in the film industry in the 30s and his brother is a gangster and his uncle is having an affair with this woman and then he's in love with her and and you know it's just it doesn't really add up to very much and but but Kristen Stewart is is great in it she's a she does a really really good performance in a movie that isn't very good and finally we have another person who honestly could count as the Painter say this, Mia Vazhikovska for Alice Through the Looking Glass. Have I come at a bad time? On the contrary, you are afraid you weren't coming at all. What's the matter? The hatter's the matter. Or the matter of the hatter. The former. No, the latter. Mm. <laughs> Tweedles. He's mad. The hatter? Mm. Mm. Yes, I know. That's his muchness. That's what makes him so... him. Now, Mia Vazhikovska, uh, in many ways, you know, she's been around for, for quite a while, but her career kind of really kicked into gear with Alice in Wonderland in 2010, the Tim Burton movie. And so she she kind of was introduced to the world, the broader world, in a movie that started, that earned a billion dollars uh, worldwide, which is insane to think about, and which was, by and large, terrible, if only for the, being the fact that I think it's, histories will note it as being the point at which... Johnny Depp really did go over the cliff quality wise as a person uh, you know it's hardest to draw the line at which he went over the cliff but certainly as an artist I think you can look at that and say yeah this was around the point he he really had more or less given up and he was just going to be a collection of ticks in aggressively annoying movies but when they signed on to to do that 
uh, movie and it was a huge success obviously they were going to do a sequel the sequel probably came too late for anyone to care about it because by that point everyone had realized that Alice in Wonderland was terrible even the people who had liked it had probably soured on it people had lost interest and so but they still had to go through it with it and Mia Wasikowska does a good work in the movie but mainly in a meta sense in a in a real world sense it's the sort of thing that she would sign up for she would get a, a bigger paycheck than she would get for being in say the double the Richard A. Awadi movie also starring Jesse Eisenberg funnily enough and or, or uh Stoker, the Park Chan Wook movie from a few years ago, which is a great movie, which she's fantastic in, and you know, it will allow her to keep doing movies like that to do smaller movies. So, I guess it's one of those situations where it's not so much a one for them, one for me, it's a one for them and a dozen for me because now I don't have to worry about bills for a little while because of this big studio movie that I've done. So, well done to Mia Vajakovska for that. Congratulations to all our recipients, and thank you for listening to this, the first annual Anna Faris Memorial Award for making the best of a bad situation, presented by Shot Reverse Shot. If you have enjoyed the podcast, then, and obviously this is atypical, some might say, but if you enjoyed this, and if you've checked out other episodes and you liked it, then please rate us and review us on iTunes and, and Stitcher and Player FM and all those places where you can listen to us and where you can rate us it helps us find new listeners you can like us on facebook and follow us on twitter at srs underscore podcast we'll be back next week with something entirely different but until then it's goodbye from me